Turn your Bibles with me to Psalm 139. Here's a great passage of Scripture on our good, good Father. Uh, you have a good, good relationship if both parties are talking, both parties are pursuing one another. If um, you want an intimate relationship with your dad, but your dad doesn't engage your dad leaves before you get up, comes home after you go to bed. When you do have time, there's just no real conversation. You know, as hard as you try, it's hard to build that relationship intimate because we all know it takes two to tango. You know, both parties have to be pursuing one another to a certain degree. Same in a marriage. If you want intimacy in marriage, both parties need to be pursuing one another takes two to tango. Now, that's not to give up hope if you are one of those people wanting to pursue intimacy and you're the other party in this relationship does not. There's a lot of things one person can do. I mean, you can, you can text and email and Instagram and Snapchat and send flowers and gifts. And I mean, you just keep going on and on and on and constantly trying to love and reach out and minister. And at times, God melts the other person's heart through that, that love. God is gracious. But when both parties come together, that's good. And you grow and you grow. Here's the point. If you're not having a good relationship with God, it's your fault. Because God is pursuing you. He's pursuing an intimate relationship with you. He's not the one who's moved away. He's not the one who's estranged. He is the one who is jealous for an intimate relationship with you. He says if you come to him and forsake your sin and seek him, even if you're in great trouble, he will turn your mourning, your sadness, your trouble into dancing. He wants to tango. He wants that intimacy with you. He is a good, good father. And I want you to see that from Psalm 139. He's a God who knows us and he wants to help us. He's a God who wants to be available to us, values us, loves us, wants us. He wants to provide assistance to us and we should seek it. First of all, let's, let's think through just God's knowledge of us. He knows us thoroughly. He knows us completely. He knows us fully. There is no one who knows us better than God. Uh, before I get into it, you know, you've probably been to a funeral home before. Someone has passed away, and you'll hear somebody make this statement. Well, I guess I probably knew the deceased by name. I guess I probably knew them better than anyone. And we all understand that statement, and there's a lot of truth to that statement, but there's a lot of faults to that statement, too, because the falsehood is no one knows that person better than God. Not you, not me, not anybody else. And sometimes we forget that God is the one who is so intimately acquainted with us. Let me read the first six verses. It says, oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down, when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are 
intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there's a word on my tongue, behold, Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I cannot attain to it. Um, No one knows this better than God. No one. Um, I could be eating lunch uh, this afternoon and somewhere in the lunch, you know, I just get up and go somewhere and somebody at the table and I say, where'd he go? My wife could tell you. I don't have to tell her where I'm going, but she's lived with me long enough that if I get up and go somewhere, she probably knows, right? And some of you have that kind of relationship. Well, I know what he's, where he's going. I know what he's doing. He does that all the time, you know? She has that knowledge. And the psalmist is saying, we need to understand God is like that. If we get up and go somewhere, God, God knows where we're going. He already knew we were going to get up. If we say something, he already understands what we mean. And not only does he know us as well as other people know us, he knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows the words that are about to form on my tongue. Before I say them, he knows them. He knows my thoughts before I think them. He knows my steps before I walk them. That's, he says, when I stop and try to contemplate that kind of knowledge, it's like, whoa, that's too much. That's too, too great. That's too wonderful. No one knows me like that, but God does. That's his point. He says, God knows us, and he knows us extremely well. I remember hearing this truth for the first time. I was in a small group Bible study, and when this knowledge came out that God knew us that well, a lady said, whoa, that's scary. I thought about it for a minute. I said, I, I think you missed the point. It's not scary at all. It's scary if you're doing something bad, yes. But that's not the point. It's, 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 the point is how comforting it is that God knows what we're going to say and think and where we're going to go and what we're going to do. It's comforting that, that he has that kind of knowledge because of the way that enables him to help. Look at it another way. If, if you go to the ER today with chest pains, thanks for praying for my dad. My dad went to the ER last week with chest pains. Uh, it turned out to be pneumonia, and he's progressing nicely now, so we're grateful. But you go with chest pains, what's the first thing the doctor asks? Have you ever had a heart attack? He starts getting medical history. You ever had a heart attack? Anybody else in your family ever had a heart attack? Does, is there disease, heart disease in your family? You know, what's your blood pressure like? What's, you know, what's going on with you in your heart? And then he wants to know, are, are there any medicines that you're allergic to? Have you ever had a reaction to anything? Has any procedure ever gone wrong? You just keep going on and on. And you're thinking, can you just do something? And the doctor says, I can't do anything until I know more. I need more information. I need more knowledge because one wrong move could kill you. I need to know you. I need to know what you're like so that I can prescribe the correct remedy. And that's the context of Psalm 139. God knows 
everything about you in me. He knows what you're allergic to. He knows what bothers you. He knows how you're going to react even before anyone else knows how you're going to react. And for that reason, he can help you like no one else because he's so intimately acquainted with you. And God never has to wait for a test result. God never has to wait for a consult. God never needs to inquire and get more information. God already has all the pieces to your puzzle. And so he knows exactly what needs to occur right now. Isn't that cool? That's our God. Intimately knowledgeable about us. As wonderful as that is, it's like I, nobody else can attain it, but God's already there. God can care for you and me. Now, not only can he do that, and is he able to do that, verse 7 through 12 says he's available to do that. God has more than knowledge. He's got availability. In other words, you know, God's not in, say, Washington State, and we're here in the southern blessing of South Carolina, you know. And you say, a lot of times we get sick. We say, there's a specialist in Washington State. And if you could get there, and he, if he had time, then maybe you would be okay. But in our case, God said, no, I've got the knowledge. And I'm not in Washington. I'm right here with you. I'm available for your particular needs. How cool is that? Look at verses 7 through 12. Where can I go from your spirit? It's a statement saying, I'm always available. God said, you're not going to get away from me and beyond me. Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in, in the grave in Sheol, you're there. Verse 9, if I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, you know, if I fall off the boat, you're there. Even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light, you know, it's like saying, if I go down a dark hole, the light around me will be, be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. And the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. God's available. There's nowhere you can go, I can go, ever escape his availability to help us. Doesn't matter how dark the place, how far the place, you can't run fast enough, you can't be shrewd enough to get away from the glorious presence of God. You know, if you ever... Um, you, you ever wanted somebody and, and you go into a store and they say, yeah, I, I need to talk to the manager. And they say, oh, man, you just missed him. Well, right about now, he's, uh, yeah, he just got on a plane for Cancun. He's gone for two weeks. It's like, ah, you ever need someone and you just, you just miss them. It's like, I can't get what I need now for weeks. See, that never happens with God. You never just miss him. You never just can't get in touch with him. He's always available. He's never somewhere else. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. 
you know, no amount of darkness, no amount of running, nothing can separate us from God. Just when I need him, Jesus is near. Just when I falter, just when I fear, ready to help, ready to cheer. Just when I need him most. God is always available. Third, this passage keeps going. God not only knows us and can help us, God's not only available to help us, he loves us and he values us and he wants us. Um, It doesn't matter to have a God if he doesn't really care. He doesn't care to be concerned about our condition. Well, he tells us he's real concerned. Verses 13 through 16. He says, For you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. And that's pretty special. Intense care. I will give thanks to you for I'm fearfully, I'm wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. Um, do, you, do you ever feel like, well, yeah, God is the creator of the heavens and the earth, and there's so much going on in the world, how could he possibly care for little old me? You know, and here's a passage that's saying God is great at multitasking. He is the creator of the heavens and the earth, yes, but of every little baby that is born. He takes special delight in and care in taking an unformed substance and weaving it in to a human baby boy or baby girl. That's his delight that he, he values that task. He values human life so much that he creates that as well. And he goes on. Verse 17 says, how precious also are your thoughts to me. I mean, in that process, you think about the thoughts God has in creating a child, creating us. He says, the the thoughts you must have while this is going on, they're just precious to think about. How vast is the sum of them? Verse 18, if I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Um, Think about what it takes to, to, to build anything, and then compare that to building a human. Um, There was a time years ago I I undertook the uh, task of building my own John boat. I thought it'd be cool. I lived near a river and thought it'd be nice to have a homemade boat. So I was going to build a 12-foot John John boat to go down the Black River and it only took me about two years, you know. Uh, so every, every moment, you know, I had some available time. I'm working on this John boat. So many hours were spent just in the design as I'm doing research and looking at every boat I can think of about that size. You know, I need to know how far the sides come up and how they curve on one end as opposed to the other and, you know, how to make those curves and designs. And um, I've got cypress trees and planed the wood myself to to strip this boat and re- 
support this boat and built a fish box in this boat and seats that would slide on both ends in this boat. And my wife will tell you, you know, if anybody was to pay me by the hour, you can't afford it. You know, just just the sheer number of hours that went into this. And after getting the boat fixed and screwed and glued and turned it over and actually fiberglassed the, the, the bottom side of it. I know nothing about any of that. But anyway, I got it all done eventually and it floats and it's great. Somebody asked me, you know, will you sell that? And I said, yeah, I probably would. How much you got, you know? But my kids say, don't sell that, Dad. It's, it's, it's become an heirloom that they want to pass down. Uh, I got it sticking in the rafters, you know, because I don't know what to do with it anymore. But I know how many hours it went into that. And just the sheer value of that. Like I said, it, it, it gets to a place, it's beyond value. Now think about God building us. And God says, I start in darkness, total darkness, with an unformed substance in your mother's womb. And I start weaving bones and tissue and start forming a human being created in my image. And we know God has chosen to take that process through a nine-month process Now, nine months, that's 275 days. 24 hours a day, that's 6,600 hours that God spends typically on forming you and me. And think about the, the, the amount of thought that goes into building a human. The thoughts in every hour of 6,600 hours. Let's pay God for this. Let's say, God, we need you to build a human. We're willing to pay. We know it takes 6,600 hours. What would you pay to build a human? Nobody's ever done it. You don't know anybody that's that skilled. Highly skilled labor take a medical doctor or whatever, there's plenty that make at least $200 an hour. That's highly skilled labor. So let's just pay God $200 an hour. I think that's reasonable to build a human. So 200 times 6,600 hours, that's $1,325,000. Do you value? Do you matter? Do you care? Does it matter to God? And, and that's before we've paid God anything for materials and parts. That's before any markup that before he retails you to mom and dad. So you could easily add another million or so onto that. And you begin to think what the psalmist is trying to say. If if I stop to consider what's really happening here, the amount of time God puts into it. I mean, he created the heavens and the earth in six days and he's choosing to take 275 days for you. Wow. Puts it in a different category. And the value he puts on that, puts on you. Do, Do you matter? Does God want you? Does God love you? Does God treasure you? He says, if I was to consider the thoughts that run through God's head in making me, it just blow me away. 
No one, no part of creation has been given this kind of attention. Like you and me. God wants us. He loves us. He values us. He says, I think about you more than there are grains of sand at Myrtle Beach. Nobody has spent more time thinking about you than me. Wow. That's a good, good father. No one has taken the time God has taken to make us. And no one's taken the time God has taken to redeem us. For we have gone astray and sinned, and God so loved the world. He says, let me give you my son to pay for your sin, to stand in your place, to take my wrath, to provide a righteousness you could never earn so that you can have the righteous clothing of my son and you could be with me in my holy presence forever. Who does that? Only someone who wants you, loves you, values you greatly. So sad we live in a world who wants to abort and murder the infant in the womb. Not only is it murder, but you're putting your hand in the face of a holy creator God who is doing his most precious work. We need to stop it. We need to see God wants this part of creation known as male and female that he's created in the womb. God does all of that. And then the psalm concludes by saying, so let me help you. You you notice the psalmist has just no question whether he should run to God for assistance. Why? Because he's already covered the ground that says, if anybody's going to help me, it's going to be God. Nobody knows me. Nobody wants me. Nobody values me. Nobody cares like God. So verse 19, oh, that you would slay the wicked. You're going to see here he's got three problems. He's got a problem with enemies. He's got a problem with his own envy. He's got a general problem with sin. So here's the enemies. Verse 19. Oh, that you would slay the wicked. Depart from me, therefore, men of bloodshed. So there's people who want to kill my body. I have got enemies. There's people who want to destroy the image of God in man. God, can, can I trust that to you? Can, can you deal with that for me? Verse 20. For they speak against you. Wickedly, and your enemies, take, they take your name in vain. So he comes asking God to help him with his prob- people problems. And then he goes to his envy problems. Verse 21, do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with the utmost hatred. They have become my enemies. Lots of people at times, we hate them. And we hate them because they seem to be doing better than us or they have more than us. And I think he's coming, going to God and saying, God, there's a righteous hatred, yes, but uh, maybe I'm not doing all that right. I've got a problem. Help me. Where's the help come? Verse 23, as um, Jonathan's already mentioned, it, it, all of this is a prayer. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me. Know my anxious thoughts. Jonathan's translation earlier says, my grievous thoughts, my grievous ways, anxious ways, sinful ways. It's like, search me and know. 
my heart, my, my thoughts, my ways. See if there's any hurtful way in me. I like the language hurtful. Because it brings us back to life's about our relationship with God. If there's no one that loves us more and better than God, we don't want to mess that up. So Lord, search me, try me. Am I doing anything that bothers, that hurts, that's uncomfortable to you? Because, boy, that that would just be foolish. I don't want to mess up the best relationship that is available to man. So search me, God. Don't let me think a thought. Don't let me commit an act. Don't let me say a word that hurts you. And then lead me in that eternal, everlasting way, that way of great relationship with you. You know, do you have a problem? Do you have any problem? you have problems with people? you have problems with envy? Do you have problems with your own thoughts and your own ways? You'd be foolish not to run to God. Run to Jesus. Seek him while he may be found. Because there's no one who loves you more. There's no one who cares. There's no one more available. There's no one more able to take care of every issue you've got. Run to Jesus. You know, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you'd be foolish not to seek him. Because you've got a terrible problem. That problem is, how are you going to, you as a sinful person, going to present yourself when you die to a holy God? How do sinners present themselves okay to a holy God? You can't. You can't fix that. And so you must run to Jesus and say, Jesus, fix that for me. I, I need a substitute. I need a savior. I need to be cleansed of sin. I need to be made right with God. And the psalmist says, and that's what God delights in doing. Coming to us, taking our sin, and establishing this glorious, good, good relationship. If you haven't done that, I hope you will. hope you'll do it today. Just say, Lord, I, I realize I need I need a righteousness. It's not my own. I, I need the sin to be removed. I need to be right with you. Lord, come into my life. I want to be owned by you. I want to be your servant. I want you to be the Lord and Savior. I want to, I want to be valued and loved and treasured like you value and tre- treasure and love your children. If you have given me your son, how will he not with him freely give us all things? Wow, what a good, good father. Let's pray together. Father, what a joy it is to just spend some time thinking about you, our relationship with you. You tell us to pray, our Father. We're in a room of people. We, we call this a corporate gathering, a family gathering. You're not just the Father of one, but the Father of many. Lord, be our Father. For those in this room who've never prayed that prayer, Lord, enable them to pray right now. I need a good, good father. I need one who would give me his son. I want to receive his son right now as my Lord, as my Savior from sin. Lord, save them. Grant them that grace and mercy. We already know you value them. 
and you've thought much of them. So grant them now this grace of knowing you as Lord and Master and Savior. Thank you, Father, for choosing us, for passionately pursuing us. May we spend this day so grateful for who you are to us. For we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.